Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that does not have a hole in its bucket. I'm Motley Fool Chief Investment Officer Scott Phillips, and I'm joined by the founder and managing director of strawmen.com, Mr. Andrew Page Esquire. How are you, sir? Esquire. I'm very good, sir. How are you? I do prefer to call you Rand than Andrew Page Esquire, but I have to give you some degree of respect and uh, something, something. Because you're a business owner, you're a founder, you're a, a VC guru, you're the, you're, the, you're the man with VC the... VC guru. You know, I don't know, I'm making stuff up now. You are the man behind Strawman. You have created and, and built a very successful small business and doing a wonderful job at it, mate. So uh, you have my full respect. Oh, that's very nice uh, Sometimes. I may you. or may not call you Esquire after this, but uh, yeah, you've, done, you've done a remarkable job. The only thing I can't work out, mate, is what does strawman.com do again? We... we we, uh, we, uh, I'm trying to think of a different way of saying it, but you know, we're, we're an online investment club. There you go. I knew it would come up something different. Uh, <laughs> you, you did for a while. You've given up, and I appreciate you I giving so up because the whole thing is just a little bit silly. Uh, but yes, strawman.com or fool.com.au are the two properties that we are both involved in. Uh, I don't. I, I was I was called the motley fool the other day as if I'm the only person at the business or I'm the guy behind the company. Uh, for the record, I don't. I own a small number of tiny uh, percentage of shares of the US business, which owns Motley Fool Australia, and there are six hundred dollars. I'm just the bloke who uh, tends to be in front of the camera or behind the microphone. So for, for the record, I'm not the Motley Fool. Um, just just a, just a regular fool. Just exactly. Well, no, I, I am Motley as well. I'm just like, not, the, not with a capital T. I'm a Motley Fool, not the Motley Fool. Mate, um, oh, I, mentioned, I mentioned at the top, we don't have a hole in our bucket. Uh, that ad has been driving people bananas. Uh, the old hole in the budget ad that's been on electronic media all over the joint. All I can say is thank goodness for the media ad blackout, at least across some of our media properties right now, because it means we've had had to put up with it for a couple of days. And of course, as this podcast goes live at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, Sydney time, we're less than 24 hours away from an election. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll talk about other stuff, more important stuff, business stuff too in a minute. Um, Mate, we, we, we are recording this on Thursday morning uh, on the 19th of May. And this morning... The, we woke up to the news. I woke up to the news. I opened my phone. I thought, oh, I wonder what the S&P did overnight. And it was down 4.04%. I went, well, I guess I know what today's going to look like on our market. It was an ugly, ugly, ugly evening uh, in the US. And it was a very clear, very obvious... You know, sometimes people like us... Well, not us, actually. We tend not to. But other people are asked, what's going on with the market? Oh, well, the, uh, the, the traders are believing this about that thing. And this is why this stock's up. This is why this stock's down. And it's at best a best guess, right? You see it move and you kind of try and back extrapolate what must have caused it. This time, really, really, really simple. I'm going to share with our listeners a couple of quotes that uh, Motley Fool Director of Research, Kevin Gandia, sent to the team uh, here at The Fool because they are do a very, very nice job of explaining exactly what's going on and it's pretty ugly. Um, so I'm trying to find the quote here and I'm looking for it. I can't find it. Let me check here. Here we go. Um This is a quote from Jerome Powell. Quote, restoring price stability, in other words, inflation, is an unconditional need. It is something we have to do. Get this. There could be some pain involved. Fed Chairman Jay Powell speaking to the Wall Street Journal. He then goes on to say, we will go until we feel like we are at a place where we can say, yes, financial conditions are at an appropriate place. We see inflation coming down, Mr. Powell said. We will get to that point and there will not be any hesitation about that. That is about a clearer preemptive strike as financial markets are ever going to get. Uh, mm. Back in the GFC, there was Super Mario saying whatever it takes. That kind of took, that was to keep the economy afloat. That took its own, uh, had its own life, that phrase. This time, Powell doing something similar, but on the other side of it saying, 
you know what? This is scorched earth. We will we will fix inflation come hell or high water. We will do whatever the hell we need to do and not exactly bugger the consequences, but effectively bugger the consequences. Mm. Um, US markets <laughs> are not, well, they always unreasonably move, but not, not surprisingly. Mm. Uh, fell like a stone overnight. We are recording this about this right now. You can t- we can timestamp this one just for fun. Seven minutes to ten. So we have no idea how the US, how the Australian market's going to open. Except the answer is probably badly down and maybe very <laughs> badly. Correct. Um, I don't remember such a strong comment outside the whole whatever it takes stuff in the GFC from a from a uh, an economocrat, a, a federal bureaucrat in the US or anywhere else. Uh, I don't even know if there's anything worth reflecting on, mate. But what 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 are your reflections on on Powell's comments? Yeah, they were they were very blunt. I mean, usually usually central bankers are, they're they're very overtly aware of how every mm. word and syllable is hyper scrutinised. Mm. So he knows the effects of these <laughs> these words, and he's yeah, not right. He's not kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah. so I guess it's notable from from that that front. But I mean. I mean, we've said it before. If not now, when? Unemployment's, what, 3.5% in the US? You know, they've got really strong... They, 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 you know, um, they, these, these were always emergency levels. And I, I just don't know if, 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 you won't, if you're not going to normalise it now, then, then when, particularly with inflation <laughs> going right. up, okay, yeah. we can talk about the quantum and yeah. the speed yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I just... I, I'm not... I, I'm always I'm hesitant to to say what I want to say because it comes Go across as, as uncaring oh, and like, maybe don't. And, maybe don't. Well, I do. You know, I do. I do kind of shrug my shoulders and go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a I, I'm a I'm a decades long investor. I'm, mm. I'm doing mm. this for as long as I'm alive, right? So, yeah. Yeah. how naive do I have to be to think that the the US, the Australia, the globe is not going to go through multiple? Mm recessions, mm. uh, not going to go through various different interest rate rates. We're going through one now. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But but you know, was, did I really think that that was not going to happen? <laughs> I, I agree, actually. Man. I'm doing a presentation tomorrow for uh, for CPA Australia, actually. Looking forward to doing that. Uh, actually, in fact, it would have been this morning by the time this goes to air. Uh, and uh, I'm putting some stuff together. And, and it was, I think that's right. I think that's, you know, the, the, the kind of tone of my presentation, because it's a, a business and accounting audience rather than an investing audience directly, um, it is those two things side by side, right? Like with a, with a forty year horizon that hopefully both of us have um, with our investing. You look at that and say, well, there'll probably be another what uh, six recessions, give or take, on average. You know, every seven mm-hmm. or so years, so it's called six yeah. recessions. Um, this is going to be the first of many. Whatever it turns up, at some point we will live through this one. We'll live through the next one, the one after that, and so on. If you are worried about though people who are or not employed, businesses who may or may not fail, economies that may or may not, you know, thrive or, or otherwise struggle. Um, these have really serious real world consequences that are frankly are much, much bigger than the investing consequences. Even if, you know, even if I keep my job, my portfolio falls, well, that kind of sucks for me. And the net result there is the portfolio impact was worse than the job impact. If I lose my job, different conversation, of course. And if I do, Andrew, I'll come and work with you at Strawman. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, is one of those, it is one of those things where the investing implications is a bit of a shrug as much as people are freaking out about it. And we do, we do hear about that. I, I've seen plenty on social media directly to me and just around the place of people kind of, you know, feeling a lot of pain about this stuff. 
But the bigger issue, I think, honestly, mate, as you say, for the medium and long term, is actually the is the the economic impacts, right? When when unemployment goes back up, if we hit a recession, when businesses fail, if we hit a recession, when budgets at a federal level, uh, when we cannot can't afford services, there the real world impacts, right? The investing impacts are pretty secondary, and in fact, almost negligible unless you actually need to sell that capital. Yeah, it's the whole Buffett saying, if you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, there's, there's no comeback from, yep. from, yep. for some companies. There's no comeback for yes, some investors, yes, yeah. you know, because they've just done some really reckless stuff yep. and leverage anybody. Look like geniuses yeah. for a while. Yeah. And, yeah. and then sort of like, that's, you know, and I, I do have sympathy for a lot of that. I, I, my heart always goes out to the, mm. I, I always cringe a little bit at myself because here we are talking about our portfolios and then other people. Yeah, totally. well, there's so many people are paycheck to paycheck, and yep. um, you know these these economic figures they, they sort of they translate back to real world experiences for a lot of people yeah. and yeah. you know that's 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 I'm far more worried about that kind of stuff than mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. paper paper gains and losses on on my portfolio, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and that and that, and that is the big issue we're going we're going to confront. Though, as you say, um, so two things I want I want to cover for investors. The first is the swimming naked thing, right? Plenty of people are losing a lot of money right now, and some of that money is actually going to be lost on bad investments. So mm. we talk about it. We talk about investing and markets. And I had someone say, I posted something similar to this on Twitter on Wednesday. I had someone post, say, "Well, it depends on what stocks you buy." And it's kind of, it, it's entirely right, right? So look, you know, yeah. stocks are down; they'll go back up. Uh, I said something like, you know, the longer you invest, um, the, the closer your odds of making money get to one hundred percent. Just historically, mm. and, and my view is, I can't promise anything because um, it would be illegal and unethical. But I just said, look, you know, the, the chance of chance of you making money approach one hundred percent the longer you do this, mm. and that's true. But we, all, I also need to be always be clear that I'm talking in general terms about total market investing or well-chosen company investing or portfolio investing if you choose your portfolio well. But there are going to be companies that do crash and burn. There'll be businesses that go broke. Um, I don't remember if we talked about this last week, but the grocery delivery mobs, did I mention those last week? Um, there was two that, that went broke mm. or went to administration uh, yeah. a couple yeah. of weeks ago. And it was basically because they couldn't get any more seed capital. The, the venture mm. capital money they were using just dried up and investors were like, no, I'm not going to not give you money in this environment. Mm. Um so there will be companies that go broken and it does depend on what you own. If you own rubbish and it flew high just because people got excited about it and now it's crashing, I'm not going to tell you that's going to recover because I don't know. Mm. There are businesses that will go broke or be permanently impaired or just have lost the hype and, and razzle-dazzle the market had implied for them. So that's the first thing is, you know, we are very, 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 very confident about the long-term future of the stock market generally, about a broadly diversified index generally, about a well-chosen portfolio generally, as long as mm. it's suitably diversified. But I, you know, not every company. The other thing, mate, is, and I want to speak to this specifically because every now and again we have someone who says, well, it's all right for you blokes. Um, you're young and you've got decades to go. What if I'm already retired? What if I'm already, you know, trying to live off my, my investments? I've got a fixed amount of income or I've got a fixed portfolio. I'm not adding any more money. And my, some of my growth investments are down 20, 30, 40, 50%. I've got no more time to add more money back in. This is as much as I've got. And it's fine for you blokes to say, hey, don't worry about it. It's fine. It'll happen. What do you say mm. to those people, mate? Well, I, I would say to those people, it was just like you should be cheering interest rates going up, right? <laughs> shouldn't because? shouldn't a retiree uh, appropriately structured in their investments? I mean, if if you're if if you're 86 mm. and you've put every last cent, and let's say you don't have a huge amount of money and you put it all into hyper growth stocks, like come on, man, mm. you know, mm. it, the 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 appropriate thing there is would would be to have a reasonable amount in cash because you you don't have an income you yep. need to live or yep. or very high quality dividend paying stocks etc yes. etc. In in an environment, well, this is the thing with the media kind of irks me a little bit. Interest rates up equals bad. 
It's like saying Aussie dollar up equals good. Well, it depends. Yeah. If I'm if I'm a retiree with a lot of money in cash, bring on the higher interest rates, man. Like let's get a 50% interest rates. I'm going to I'm going to make bank on that kind of thing. So yeah. I would say, now it's again, you got to be careful cuz it feels like I'm being high, highly critical of, of yeah. certain people, yeah. but if you are a retiree and you've got X dollars, I would I would 100% make sure that you've got a couple of years in cash. Massive cost to that. The cost is, is that it's not going to do anything, you know, and you're going to really regret that in, when booming times. But you need to have that money to, to live on mm-hmm. and you don't want to be, you don't want to be your entire lifestyle dictated by the whims of, of Mr. Market over that time yeah. frame. Yeah. And for those kind of people who appropriately structure that way, it's higher interest rates are brilliant for you. They are fantastic for you. Now, people will say, yeah, but not for me because of this and that. Well, that's that. There is, there is always a, you, there's no free lunches, right? Mm. There is always a compromise in any investment decision mm. that you mm. make. And so, if you have, as a person in retirement, structured things in a riskier manner, yeah. um, when I'm, I'm using riskier, let's say I've gone more towards growth investments, more interest rate sensitive investment, that's fine. That's cool. That's your choice. And you've got every right to do that. And you would be very happy that you have done that when you look back over the last five to 10 years, because that's exactly the place to have been. Mm-hmm. But but don't cry foul. You, you can't have your, your your cake and eat it too, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're, the, the cost of that is that when cycles turn, when interest rate cycles move, that that, that the, you're going to move in, into the wind in, in, that, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know... <laughs> Am I being too unfair? No. Uh, I will suggest that... No, you're being entirely fair. I think all I would add is the emotional response to even with those things being true. Even with three to five years of money on the side, if your portfolio falls by 20, 30, 40%, even if you've got the cash for, you know, mm. set aside, yeah. that's, there was just, a, there was just a, a psychic pain, right? I don't mean psychic. Of course. Mumbo jumbo yeah. stuff. And that's the bit I think people are still going to be like, well, what if it doesn't come back? I still feel poorer anyway. Um, how long might it be this low? How close do I get to that living expense I've got set aside before I have to start selling something? Mm. What, if this, what if this time really is different? All that sort of stuff. I think the, the, loss, of, the loss of money for people who aren't like you and I, mate, who've been A, doing this for quids, B, we're probably, you know, Buffett talks about the ovarian lottery. I'm not at all, uh, I'm very sure you and I have been born fortunately and, and trained well with a temperament that allows us to put up with this in, in unusually tolerant ways that other people simply don't have. Um, I know people I've dealt with talk to family members who I've helped, advised, whatever, uh, who still regularly say to me, uh, are you sure this kind of feels scary and I've lost more money and this is down? And, you know, we know the wealth effect is real, for example, with housing. So um, you're, 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 your theory is absolutely spot on. I'm going to add just a little bit of a hug for those people and say, you know what, we get it. Uh, take Andrew's take Andrew's tough love uh, with a little bit of a cuddle from me. Uh, between the two of us, I think we're, we're, roughly, we're roughly spot on. It, yeah, these things, there has never been a bad time to invest in the past. There have been better and worse times. There's never been a bad time. And... We had the COVID crash. We had the GFC. I'm going. To, I'm going to at some point, mate. You know that Vanguard index chart, which mm. about ten grand at the beginning. And every every time I do that, someone says, "Yeah, well, if you'd invested to the top of the GFC, or I had someone guy say, well, mm. the Nick guy hasn't got it back to thirty five thousand yet in Japan, mm. as if the exception proves the rule." And it's mm. I want to do that kind of. You know how they talk about area under the graph thing. I want to do the area above the graph. Mm. and colour mm. in the area where you, you bought at the index level of this, it's now gone to that. The gap between those two is the money you've made. And if you've been investing all the way through, then when the market's high, when the market's low, when the market's in between, you've made money in all those times, some of them better, some of them worse. You're even losing money if you invested it two months ago, probably. Mm. But the other money you put into the market over the last, hopefully, if you're in retirement, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 
Super's been around now for 30 years almost. Um, as those things mature, yep, right now your portfolio has gone from X to Y and that's down. But it's, in fact, not gone from X to Y. It's gone from 5X or 10X or 20X to Y because you started with a certain amount of money. That's compounded over time. Yes, it feels tough to lose it. Just remember that the compound returns are going to be volatile, but they are have always been and I fully expect always will be up and to the right over time. Yeah. Mate, let's, um, let's move on to the other macro, which is kind of what's happening here. And I just, you, you kind of already covered a little bit, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'm mindful, as I said, there's an election coming. Uh, the polls will open, what is it, how many hours from now? Eight, no, 17 hours-ish from now, um, at least from the, from the publication date, about uh, two days from when we're recording this. And six or eight hours later than that, the whole palaver will be over, thank goodness, for another two or three years, and we'll have either a, a newly returned or a new federal government. They, uh, this, is a, this is a tough circumstance to be in. And I want to ask you from an investing perspective, given wages growth is struggling, given inflation is high, given unemployment is low and hopefully low when the numbers come out today, we're recording this before we get the numbers on Thursday, um, the election coming up, just curious as to how you think about some of these stats when it comes to the way you expect your investments or the market or anything else to move as a result. When you look around the macro settings and think, what does this mean for the future? How attractive is this market right now? If I have cash, am I deploying it all? Am I still keeping some? You know, we know you and I will always say, yep, long term, it's fine. Long term, it doesn't matter, all that kind of stuff. But if you've got money now, are you putting extra money aside, leaving it in cash, waiting for worse times? Are you getting it all in because better times are coming? Are you dollar cost averaging? Uh, given given so much uncertainty, so much, frankly, just pure noise and some signal, because these are real numbers, as we just said, what's the, what's the investing strategy you're pursuing day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out? In in view of the the, the upcoming election, you mean, or just uh, the, the, the the overall macro environment? Some some. So here's the thing. I, so I'll put my cards on the table by way of answering. I don't ever hold cash by choice. Sometimes I have cash because I've sold something or I put some money in. I haven't got around to investing it or whatever. My cash pile ideally is less than way less than one percent of my portfolio if I can avoid it. Right, twenty five mm. twenty five cents in the portfolio if if I can help it is roughly where I like to be. I like to be fully invested because the market goes up over time. We've talked about that before. Others say, you know what? I want to have some cash aside. I want to wait for those fat pitches. I want to wait for the market to throw me some deals. I want to wait till there's misery and blood in the streets. Other people will say, I'm going to wait until there's momentum. I, I want to see share prices start to rise. I'm going to put money to work then. Um, not because I'm not an investor, just because if I'm, going to, I'm going to time, I don't want to say time the market, but I'm going to think about when that money gets deployed. Mm. So given where we are, um, how is it impacting how you're thinking about your investing strategy when it comes to how you deploy the cash in your portfolio? Well, uh, not, nothing different. Uh, okay. You know, I heard I heard an, in, an investor interview the other day and it was on a podcast and the, the interviewer was mm. saying, oh, you must be loving the markets down because it gives you a chance to act opportunistically. Yeah. So it's kind of the right thinking. Right, and, that's, and why the, that's why I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, and the, but the investor said, well, no, I'm not opportunistic. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just doing what I've always done. <laughs> yeah, right. Do I have cash? I buy. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I not have cash? Well, I, I wait. And and it just, it's so insanely simple. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, that's that's what I do. I, I, now that's look. Everyone's got their unique circumstances and the rest. Mm -hmm. So I actually do have a bit of money in cash, um, but that's got nothing to do with timing the market. It's okay. it's more about how the cash flows from the business come, etc. Personal circumstances. Nothing nothing mm -hmm. to do with anything. But there's where I'm like you. Wherever I can, if I've got if I've got spare capital, goes in the market. 
Mm-hmm. And and hopefully I have spare more spare capital when coming in when when markets are down. But you know, I, I buy. Nice. I, go back to first principles. Really, I, I think it, it's it's a you've really got to think this through. And what is the market? What am I actually taking an ownership in? Why do I think that will go up? These are really mm-hmm. deep, profound questions. Really deep. You know, beyond just that's what markets go up kind of thing because they kind of do and that's a shorthand. But it's just, you know, as I've often said, it's just really a reflection of society. And, you know, if you're an optimist, long-term optimist for humanity, it's it's the only place to put your money. I mean, where else do you put it? A lump of, lump of metal? Yeah. Um, paper IOU receipts from a, from a mm, central bank? Mm, um, mm. A block of bricks and land? Um or productive enterprise. And, you know, people debate this, heated debates on all of this, and I don't care, you do what you, you want to do. For me, productive enterprise wins every single day, and history backs that up. Well, I shouldn't say every single day. <laughs> every single decade. Every single decade it wins. Nice, yes, um, yeah. uh, And again, people will argue that as well. And, and like, you're going to get yeah. to the point when, when, you're, when you start arguing around the fringes, like, well, just, just whatever prefers, as long as, as, long as you've got something... Yeah there that is in some way productive, you will do well. And and I I came to peace a long time ago mm. with the fact that I can't time the market. I've stopped getting into arguments with people who feel as though they can. Mm. Great, if you can, mm. I wish I could, you know. I can't. I don't know if others can, but I know that I can't. And so I don't, I don't play that game. Spare yeah. money, buy. What do I buy? Something that I feel is a very productive I'm buying future cash flows and I'm trying to buy something that has really good future cash flows yeah. and I'm trying to buy it at a price that re- 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 that is attractive relative yep. to that. That's it. Boom. I'm really fond of, of Buffett's saying that investing is simple but not easy. Yes. Yeah. Because it is simple. I mean, the, the concept is, is so simple. I had a chat with my 12-year-old the other day. He gets it. <laughs> yeah. He's, and not because he's, not because he's, he's, well, of course, he's my, he's my boy. He's, he's a genius. But, you know, <laughs> you know but, but he, he, any, any 12-year-old would get that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not easy because, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the technicalities of, of actual what, how do I find a good cash flow? How do I value? Yeah. That's where things start to get a bit tricky. But, mm. but the big concept is, is, is simple. So, again, I cringe on any time this is sort of discussed on, in the media or on here on a podcast because you just you sound like that idiot negligent fool who just keeps saying yes. the same thing no yes, matter exactly. what yep. and people roll their eyes and you know it's far better to speak to the the guy in the Armani suit in the Martin Place office who's going to tell you that you know <laughs> we've got some real risk adjusted portfolio where we're transitioning into this and we're doing that oh, oh. whatever dude whatever uh, you do you but I'm just going to do this because it's going to work pretty well for me is there I such a thing as risk adjusted returns oh god I just, Do you buy the whole concept? Um, I, I like a lot of financial concepts. There's there's elements of truth to it, okay. but 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 there are people get too cute, people mm. get too clever, they mm. get too literal with some of this stuff. So, I think there is a risk adjust. Look, I could, the best return on the planet. Yeah. Is for me to buy a ticket in tomorrow's in tonight's <laughs> Powerball. Right. That is the best return I'm yeah. ever. I'm going to yeah. spend two dollars fifty yeah. on a yeah. whatever yeah. Powerball ticket, and I could yeah. walk away with eighty million. You, you won't beat shop around, right? You won't beat that. So you do have to think about <laughs> risk adjusted returns yeah. um, I, I, as a concept. I, I think yeah. I would far prefer something yeah. like a Vanguard index, which is I'm never going to I'm never mm. going to have a mm. you know mm. two ten thousand x return on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's true. It's it's a true concept. But then, then people just take 
take it too far. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, I think it's misused when it's like, well, I don't, I'd rather own six percent on Woolies and ten percent on I don't know, pick a stock or something. I don't own CSL because mm-hmm. Woolies is a better risk adjusted. It's like, mm, no, that's, no, that's, that's it's, stupid. It's six. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you can pretend that it matters. Like that anyway. I drive me nuts. You can absolutely get less volatile returns. You can absolutely get more stable. There are more stable investments. Uh, although don't be don't be fooled into believing that so called safe or defensive stocks are actually safe or defensive when it comes to the share price volatility. I've said before, Woolies went from twenty to forty, back to twenty, and now it's back to forty ish. Um, uh, you know it, it, that that's hardly that's hardly the sort of defensive. You know, stable price, stable business, fantastic business, and I love that. But um, don't don't believe that, mate. Speaking of buying. Speaking of what we're all doing, you're, you're buying, I'm buying, or at least I'm planning to. Warren Buffett has been buying. Now, he didn't put quite as much money to work as you have recently. He's only, he's only invested 51 billion US dollars. I know yours- <laughs> Lightweight. Your, yeah, exactly. Your, your, uh, your one's a little bit larger than that. But uh, but yeah, 51 billion US dollars. That's about 74 billion Australian dollars. I did the maths the other day. Um, not that it's hard, but just I happen to know that's what the number was then. The dollar's been super volatile too. Let's not get into that. Mm. Um and, and it's kind of, so the point I wanted to make, and this is, it's more of the same point, right? But humans like social proof. So let, let, me, let me give up the, the, the construct I'm about to create for people and, and tell you what I'm doing and then why I'm doing it. Social proof is super valuable. I, everyone loves this stock. So I feel better about buying it because everyone else loves it, right? That's just, mm. that's just what we do as humans. We mm-hmm. are, are evolutionary, evolutionarily conditioned to love social proof. When Warren Buffett's buying something, well, it must be good Buffett's buying. Yes, that's exactly the point I'm trying to get through. So I'm going to give it up up front. Uh, headlines of $16 trillion wiped off global capital markets since the last high was, was the headline I saw the other day. Uh, daily, there's going to be plenty today, daily reports of markets crashing X billion dollars wiped off the market as Andrew goes to check the portfolio. <laughs> you heard uh, my mouse clicking. I, I, I did, but I saw <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I, that's I, you, right. you looked at the screen, your face lit up. I, I, we're doing this over Zoom and, and I, when, when your face lit up, literally as in like the, the, the colour of the screen, I'm like, oh, I just clicked on something as I mentioned the portfolio. <laughs> and it's quarter past 10 now uh, in, uh, on Thursday. So you, he's now, he's now looking at the perfectly. damage. He's now yeah. looking at the damage. But, you know, all the headlines are about wiped off this and wiped off that. There's a couple of headlines about Buffett and, and thankfully there are, but, you know, one article per, per masthead probably over over three or four days uh, about Buffett doing some buying, which is remarkable in itself. But it's kind of one of those things, mate. This is what I... And we're we're flogging the dead horse. Uh, By the way, I'm going to flog a high horse in a minute, so get ready for that one because I am steamed up. But uh, so yeah, strap yourself in for that. But yeah, Buffett's buying has put $74 billion to work while everyone else is talking about how far the market's falling and how they're all losing money and how how much money's been wiped off markets. And you've got to just... Put those two things side by side for a second. Mm. Headlines, feeling bad. I've, I, I mean, losing money sucks, right? I don't like the fact my portfolio is lower than it used to be. And I'm at a, I'm at a fortunate position now where my portfolio falls by more than the money I put in some weeks or <laughs> some months, right? So, you know, uh, that's a nice problem to have, absolutely first-class problem to have. But sometimes when you add money to your portfolio and you still end up with less than you started with, that sucks, right? You feel like you're putting money in a paper shredder. So mm. I, I absolutely get the feeling. I, I, so that, that's real, right? That's really real. The numbers being lost are real. The feelings are real. So that's, that's exhibit A. Exhibit B is some old bloke, 91-year-old bloke, in a nondescript office on the something floor of the Kewitt Plaza Tower in Omaha, Nebraska. You and I have both been there and looked at it from the outside. We weren't invited in. But look from the outside. Uh, Buffett goes to work six days a week, sits at his desk and decides to put $51 billion to work while everyone else saying, oh, this is terrible. And I just want to put those two images in our, in our listeners' minds, Ram, because on one hand, you've got what everyone else is doing, the headlines, the blood in the streets, the market crash, market crisis, blah, 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 blah. And then you got the old bloke in Omaha just buying some stocks. 
Mm. And for me, that is about as stark an example as I can give our listeners. You can talk to me, you talk to Ram. We hopefully know what we're doing. We're hopefully justified our, our views based on our performance, our education, our experience. But neither of us is Warren Buffett. <laughs> so don't do what we do. Do what Warren Buffett does, which is the same thing, thankfully. But um, if you're looking for social proof, if you're looking for some sort of support, if you're like, well, these two blokes are smart-ish and they're kind of okay-ish and they're funny sometimes and whatever, it, it, Buffett is Buffett, right? There is no greater investor ever than Warren Buffett. Over 55 years, he's run Berkshire. He's been investing for 70-odd years. He's been there, done that, seen it, invested anyway, made money despite every five or six years, someone saying Buffett's lost it. He's not keeping up. Look, Buffett's missed out on tech. He's an idiot, da, da, da. all that stuff. He still continues to be market beating. He's still out there putting his money to work uh, and he's buying stocks right now. While you're thinking, this is painful. I'm not sure if I want to. I don't blame you. But Buffett is actually doing it. So just keep that in mind. Can I can I add to that? So that's Please. that's you're right. So he has been doing that recently. Yes. But but don't for a second think that that's what he's six days a week. He's in there making investment decisions. He's that's not. a good point. Yeah, thank you. There's a really great quote I was reminded of recently from Charlie uh, Munger, his his business partner, yep. and it says, um, I just looked it up. We both, Warren and I, insist on a lot of time being available almost every day to just sit and think. That is very uncommon in American business. Yep. We read and we think. And and I think that is, there's so much in that. Is, is we, Especially at times like now, we feel as like, okay, yeah. gotta, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And, and a lot of what we've been talking about so far is like, okay, what do you do? Well, I think actually most of the time you sit on your backside and you think and you don't do it just because the market's down mm, but mm. I just that's pretty much my pastime is yeah, sitting on my yeah. bum and thinking yes yeah. <laughs> it's interesting I like it I'm curious person <laughs> but I think I think when you when you when you've th- there is a huge compounding payoff with that kind of stuff it's because we don't know how history will unfold mm. but when you've spent a lot of mental energy contemplating yeah. reflecting reading yeah. thinking you just you know Forewarned is forearmed, and the other the other great saying is that chance favors the prepared mind, yes. and yeah, and that's what Charlie and Warren are doing. He's sitting there, he's reading reports, he's doing this. He not he's, he n- almost never picks up the phone to his broker. Don't mm. don't. That's the mistake people I think make. Now, most fund managers out there, that's all they're doing, right? They're, they're checking the, whether their positions are up or down. They're calling, they're trimming, they're adjusting, <laughs> they're, right. they're rotating, they're doing yeah, all this yeah. nonsense. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and, and you've got to do that at times, but just yeah, just, yeah. just sit and think about what am I doing here? What what yeah. are the kinds of assets I want to own? How do yeah. I find those assets? What are those assets? Where does the value come from? What is value? Value is a really thorny topic. You know, that's mm. what they've done that for 50 years, right? Mm. Mm. And and I would urge a lot of people um, to do that. I actually sent out, uh, just put a post on Strawman this morning just saying, look, it's going to be really rough today. But, mm. you know, here are the questions. You, know, you might, If you want to do something, do this. Look at all your companies and ask, are they around in five or ten years' time? First one. You know, because if they're not, sell whatever, up, down, whatever. If if the business isn't there in five or 10 years, get the hell out. Um, This next question will the earnings on a per share basis be materially higher at that point? Like if they're not, then that's that's going to be a much, much harder proposition. So are they around? Are they earning more in five to 10 years? Note that I'm not saying next quarter or next half or next year. You know, know, uh, uh, the next one, you know, can this business weather the storm? So it's going to be tough. Like even the, the best, the best built ship is still going to be tossed around yeah. in a in a in a in the ocean in, in a storm. Nice to put. But can it survive um, mm-hmm. the difficult conditions? And here's the important caveat here: 
without relying on highly dilutive capital raisings. Mm. So there will be businesses that are around in five or 10 years' time, but shareholders will probably be diluted a gazillion fold because they've had to go to the market and raise money at a very, very steeply discounted price. Yeah. So that, that's the third question. On top of all of that, is the current price fair given those expectations? Um, and then final one is, if possible, should I be looking at adding at any of these? And there, there, I think there's just mm. four high-level points there that you yeah, can just fine. run through yeah. and that, that will... That will occupy your time, so keep your finger away from the buy sell button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now maybe it needs to hover over that button at, if you go through those and you, mm. you answer in, in the negative in, in some ways. Mm. Um, but that spend your time doing that. You know? Um, don't 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 spend your time opening up your Comsec account and looking at mm. green arrow good, red arrow <laughs> bad. Right. You know, that's just that's right, um, that's right. don't do exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. Good point. I um yeah like I think it's just, yeah, the the Buffett example just really important um I think it's really worth talking through what the uh, implications are I love your I love your checklist mate I I am mindful that you know Buffett put him under and by the way he's not buying tech stock he's buying Occidental Petroleum and other companies and it, it doesn't mean you sure shouldn't do it it just means that if you know that that cash flow story you asked mate and that's kind of the the, the key one you've you said many times you know, I, I agree with you. The, the, you know, there's no real difference between value and, and growth investing, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all buying future cash flows. The value investor tends to believe that they can take longer term, bigger, you know, bigger swings at stuff. Um, did I say value or growth? And I meant growth at a set value. The growth investor, mm. to be really clear. Um, yeah, bigger swings, you know, longer term. In 10 years' time, this could be a 10-bagger. In the meantime, it might be a, a rough old ride, so I'm going to diversify. I'm going to expect a lower success rate. Value investors normally looking for something that's, you know, slightly undervalued and when it becomes fully valued, they make some money. There's, they're the extremes. There's such a big, big gap between there. But either way, all of them believe that they are buying something that's going to be more successful at a future point and the market will reward them for that business's future success at that future point. And that, that is all that matters. It is worth thinking about, mate. The only thing I would say about inflation, just back to that for a second, is if inflation is higher and rates are higher, those future profits are worth less. So yep. it, does, it does kind of, I was going to say permanently, nothing's permanent. It, for, the, for the medium term, it does tilt the, the price you should actually pay for these businesses. Uh, in, in a, you know, two, two businesses, if the rates go down, the business has got future profits. Will be, you know, its share price will be more attractive, or should be more attractive. If a mm. if, the share, if the interest rates go up, if inflation goes up, you should expect the business is going to make money in five or seven years. Is worth less now by definition because of the algebra. If you're not sure about that, look up net present value. I'm not going to try and do it. <laughs> the algebra on a podcast is just painful. But the longer you got to wait, the less something's worth. And the more that inflation ravages that money that you're finally going to get, the less it's worth. And so, you know, yes, absolutely. A business that is delivering profits today is worth more anyway, the one doing it in 10 years' time for the same, mm. the same business. Mm. But the higher the inflation is, the, the more or the less that, that future profit is worth. So that is a genuine change and something you should absolutely be mindful of. What you were going to pay for a business six months ago, what you're going to pay for a business now should be less now if that, if that profit is further into the future just because of that straight maths. doesn't mean it's not worth doing. doesn't mean the market doesn't overreact. It's possible a great company can be too cheap. It's possible a terrible company can be too expensive and vice versa. A terrible company can still be, you know, too cheap and a great company can be too cheap. So just think about the timing of that. Think about the quality of that. And as you say, mate, a business is going to be around delivering cash flows in five or 10 years. That that should be the, the, the absolute crux because that's what we're buying. We're buying pieces of business. We're not buying tickers. Uh, I've said many, many times, you own a news agent or a cafe and someone popped their head in the cafe window every five minutes and said, it's worth less now. It's worth more now. It's worth less now. It's worth more now. You'd rightly say, mate, can you please go Bugger and get- off. Nick's, yes. 
Yeah. Uh, go and get nicked, mate. I'm trying to run a business here. And yet, you know, the rest of us, or, or even if you, if, you own, if you own half the cafe and you were doing a day job, right, and your partner's running the cafe and you get a phone call every three minutes saying, it's worth more, it's worth less, it's worth more, it's worth less. You know, you're a passive shareholder in that case. Someone else is running the business. You still be like, mate, bugger off. This is a, it's a cafe. Like, it, you know, I don't care whether there's three less people than there were yesterday or three more people than yesterday or whether the coffee machine broke this morning or it, like just, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I'm building yeah. a long-term business here. The future cash flows, the, the full future cash flows, not just cash in the future, but from now to the future, that's all I care about. Don't mm-hmm. don't keep bugging me with, you know, you'd literally, you'd, call, you'd slam, t- t- stop calling me, take me off your list. I don't want to hear from you. And yet we well, voluntarily go to the go to the, co- the ComSec or the whatever every minute of every day, some of us, and refresh, 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 refresh. What's it worth now? What's it worth now? You, you would, you yeah. would honestly, you'd, you'd brain someone who came and yelled at you through the window, but we voluntarily go and, you know, send ourselves loopy trying to check the, the share prices. Having said that, that's true. It's all true. But- had, if that person is instead saying it's worth this much, they say, I'll buy it off you for a dollar, bugger <laughs> off. I'll buy it off you for a bugger off. One day true, when, true, true, true. When, when they're in a very good mood, they'll put their head through the window and say, I'll buy it off you for $10 million. You go, yeah. okay, now I'm interested. Sold. <laughs> exactly. Okay, because this yeah. cafe is not worth $10 million, but yeah, hey, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to talk you out of it. So you know, some, sometimes that idiot is useful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes – uh, they're the one running the business and you can stick yeah. your head through their window and yeah. say, buy it off you for yeah. a dollar, buy it off you for a dollar, <laughs> exactly. bugger off, bugger off. And then yeah. one day they'll go, oh yeah. my God, yes, yes, you can have it. Thank you. You know, that's... That, that, <laughs> True. There, there are useful idiots no, that's good. That's there. a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. I just, it's just, yeah. Don't, don't uh, but maybe, maybe, you know, the equivalent probably is, mate, if you must do something, Set, a, set an alert on your brokerage account to tell you when the shares get to $10 million each and otherwise don't bother me, right? Don't, don't go looking. Let someone, let someone you know, sit, there's, there's lots of great tools and apps out there. Uh, you know, if Woolly shares get 100 bucks, send me an email. Otherwise, bugger off, leave me alone. You know, yeah, rather, rather than I'll check all, just in case it gets to $100 someday. Can, can I, um, I think I made this point recently, but uh-huh. bears, bears repeating is that yep. I, unfortunately, all the things you're sort of saying now are true. Like, oh, okay, interest rates, are, you know, inflation is different. You've got to value those things. It's only really sort of now people are thinking about that through more seriously. Yeah, that's right. And that's great. And that's yeah. great. It's not the wrong thing to think, yeah, but, yeah. but you're thinking about it. With, like, so I'm just looking at the NASDAQ, the, actually on our market, so the mm-hmm. NDQ, the ETF. So if you've been exposed via that. Yeah. I own some of those. How about uh, I, yeah, so do I, so full disclosure. Um, <laughs> uh, bought some more actually uh, oh, yeah. in the week on, nice. on, on my super account. Anyway, um, uh, it's 25% down, right? Right. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, these were the th- things you could have and should have had in your mind at all times. Not because you're trying to sort of forecast what's going to happen, but it's kind of like the whole we I think a lot of people come mm, to the realization yeah. once that the that the stable door is open once the horse is <laughs> 10 kilometers down the road. They go, oh, I really should close that door. It's like, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, you, you probably Thanks, should, yeah. but it's kind of it's a bit late now. So now you're at a point of capitulation yeah. when yeah. when yeah. we're not really. It's kind of it's not that the thinking is wrong, it's just that the thinking is late on on yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's 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 a very different proposition today uh. where 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 those those as you rightly say, those those growth companies with cash flows are further mm. out into the future mm. are more far more impacted by higher yep. interest rates. But it's kind of, yeah, at the same time, they're they're 25, 20, almost twenty seven percent in fact, cheaper than, yes, than they exactly. were. 
exactly. uh, at, at the start of the year. So it's kind of like, yep. well, there is that yep. <laughs> as yep. well. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy them. I'm just making the point to people, you know, a, a $10 stock six months ago shouldn't be worth $10 now if the profits aren't going to come for five years. Exactly. It should be, it should be yes. something less. So totally. don't just look at the decline and say, it's it's cheaper, therefore it must be a better deal. It probably is, frankly, given the falls, as you've talked about, mate. It's just, I just want to let people know, don't sort of do measure from the top to the bottom and say that's the gain back up again. It might be. Yeah. And it might be even more than that. Shares were, if shares were cheap then, if it was worth 20 bucks. Maybe it's worth 18, but if it's fallen from 10 to 7, as you say, then it's you know there's still plenty of upside left. Um, yeah. So if you're buying the right stocks at the right price, then that'll take care of itself. Can I just Mate, sort of, again, okay. another yes. another one before we move on? One, yeah. one always, it's always good because we we measure from tops to bottoms. Like, I'm yeah. just, I just I just click the oh, five-year axis on the button on, on my chart. Yeah, yeah. And it just went, so actually the NASDAQ, is, uh, that ETF has doubled yeah. <laughs> so in, in that time, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like, you know, if, if – if every five years I have to sort of stomach this twenty-five percent drawdown, <laughs> to <double>. that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. But I'm not anyone who's been invested and consistently yeah. investing over there. I got no sympathy for you. I, in fact, yeah. I congratulate yeah. you. You've, you've yeah. doubled. You've pretty much doubled your money right. over That's that right. point. Well done. Yeah, we, we mental accounting, right? We we bank we bank the wins and then feel terrible when we lose a little bit of it, rather than realizing that this is volatile. And yeah. you know, the, the the gains are always locked in. The falls are always terrible and a surprise and, and, and feel horrible. And it's not it's not a reason where I'm not bagging anyone for it. I feel exactly the same. You feel the same. Uh, we just you know it, knowing to knowing to make it uh, to. To, to allow for that stuff, that, that is part of what happens is, is really, really important. So we should, yeah. we should keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just looked at my portfolio and I'm down 2.83% this morning so far. So I'm uh, getting towed up. All right, let's see if I'm beating you. Uh, uh, 1.8. Oh, so there you go. I'm winning. Hey. Well, Depends which way we count. <laughs> uh, my supercar's out 3.2%, even better. All right, enough of that. Enough about me. It's not about me, it's about me. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Uh, mate, I am going to get on the high horse. Can right. I? Can I? Can I'm going to go make a coffee. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be back make, in 15. Make two or three. Make me one and hand deliver it, will you? Uh, <laughs> it's going to take that long. Mate, I am just so incredibly annoyed with the state of politics in this country and the lack of interest any serious party has in actually having serious conversations. There is no conversation about the country we want to be. There's no conversation about productivity. There's no point about, you know, where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? What serious conversation do we need to have about budget repair or about industry policy or about, you know, the kind of things that might create some jobs, for example. Uh, happy to promise X million jobs because that's what they all do, but there are no serious conversations being had. One of the topics that is very close to your heart, mate, which I just think is an absolute abrogation of any sort of decency from a political wannabe, either current or, or potential uh, member of parliament, housing policy is an absolute dog's breakfast. Mm -hmm. We had Labor two weeks ago come out and say, housing is so bloody expensive. It is so terrible and so unaffordable for first-home buyers. We're going to fix it by throwing more money at it. <laughs> we're going to use, the, we're gonna use the government's idea. money. We're going to say, hey, you know mm -hmm. what? If you can't afford a house, I'm terribly sorry, buy 60% of one instead. Literally, that's the solution. Buy half a house if you can't afford a whole house. That's how we're going to fix the problem for you. And it's just... So government money, taxpayer money, whatever happens to the equity markets, happens to the equity market goes up, they make some money, it falls, they lose some money. Effectively, start to nationalise housing, which is just blows my mind. I have no problem with social housing. I have no problem with socialised medicine. I'm not an anti-socialising person. The idea that you take private property and say, you know what, it's so stupidly unaffordable, rather than addressing it, we're going to just add money, we're going to add fuel to the fire and use taxpayers' money to do it is ludicrous. Stupid. And then the PM says, Albo, hold my beer. <laughs> Watch, watch this. 
And because of their ideological differences, and no surprise, um, Labor's happy to throw government money at it. That tends to be what they do. And the Libs are happy to throw superannuation at it because that's what they do. Uh, let's go back to COVID. They invited people to take 20 grand out of their accounts to spend on jet skis and TVs and other fun stuff. Uh, then, well, actually before that, one of them at one point had a brain fart of a, an idea that they would give, let, let people who are victims of domestic violence, rather than actually help it, getting the government to help them out, they were going to let them get into their super to deal with that. Great cause. Great. You, I absolutely get it. Using superannuation because you're a victim of domestic... Think that through. We are so useless as a country. Rather than actually having us all as a group say, you're in some tough times, we will help you. No, no, no. No, just steal from your retirement. That's the best we can offer you. And then... Not not forgetting that that (laughs) women uh, have far less super than men. And, you know, there's there's a lot of less honey in that pot to sort of draw on in those very difficult times. It's just such a bad idea on top of a bad idea. Now we get to housing. And we say, you know what? Housing is so expensive. You have a choice. You can either retire in comfort or you can buy a house. Which would you like to choose? Australia, one of the wealthiest countries in the world in total per capita on any measure you choose. The only thing we can do for first home buyers who can't get into housing is either, under elbow, spend some taxpayers' money to do it, or under the Liberals, throw your own super at it. Because, you know, retirement's for people who, I don't know, I don't know who retirement's supposed to be for, because they don't want an age pension. They don't want to help you with superannuation. They, they, they want super to be gettable for anything. Anything you want, use super for it. Who cares? Want to throw a birthday party, grab some super. Want to renovate the house by... And yet they want to throw 50... Now, here's the other thing, Mike. So they're going to throw a super at it, which is stupid. You should not have to choose between housing and super in retirement. That is an absolute abrogation of the superannuation system. Then they say, well, it can be up to 50 grand. Okay, well, if you've got 50 grand in super... You'll have had to have earned, I don't know, 85 grand for 10 years before that. <laughs> Add it all up, 10%, grow through that. I mean, the number's literally 500 grand over 10 years, so call it 50 grand per year on average. But you have to start at something. So you're 30, you start to work at whatever you got, 45 grand, 50 grand. You worked up, maybe, maybe, maybe you got to 50 grand. If you got to that level, you'd have to wipe out your entire super balance. You can't even do that. The most you can take is 40%. So if you had 50 grand in super by 30, you could take 20 grand out. If you want to get to take out 50 grand, you've got to have $125,000 in super. <laughs> and the maths on that is crazy. You all have had to have earned $1.1 million in salary to have 125 grand in super, because do the maths with me, 10%, nice and easy at the moment, where super is 10% of salary. Who's got that? So you're trying to help the poor first home buyer who can't afford the house by themselves, by helping them dip into super they don't have to risk the future they don't yet have. <laughs> to buy a house that is too bloody expensive. I okay. am just flabbergasted by it. And look, I, I've, I've said, I don't, call me whatever. I guess some people criticise me for having a go at Labor, then they criticise me for having a go at Libs, and then the people on the other side thank me for having a go at each of them, but don't like me having a go at the other one. People, I don't care about the political parties. I genuinely don't give a stuff. The Labor policy is ridiculous. The Liberal policy is even worse in my view because at least the government can do things in future like raise taxes or reduce spending or whatever to pay back whatever money it wastes on housing, which is stupid. But taking money out of retirement, my retirement, your retirement, your kids' retirement, your friends' retirement for future them, that is, in my view, absolutely unexcusable. So you know what? If I'm going to rank them, I'm absolutely going to say the Liberal Party policy is worse than Labor, not because I'm a Liberal Party hater or a Labor stooge, although I get accused of the other way around sometimes, just because the stupid, stupid, stupid policy and a pox on both their houses, God damn it. Mm. Yeah, it's done. not it's not a partisan thing. It re- it really isn't. The interesting I had this debate with a friend the other day. It's just sort of like find me 
any half serious economist, anyone that you can who, who's put their hat in the ring to say this <laughs> is a good true, idea. True, actually. That's so right? true. So it's, so not, true. it's not a couple all of all those, all, those commie, all those commie economists out there who are you know, shilling for Labor and all of a sudden telling you that the Liberal Party policy is terrible. <laughs> No, I mean, it's not a couple of armchair idiots on a podcast saying this about it. Hey, hey, hey. I'm not seeing an armchair, thank you very much. I won't won't have it said about me that I'm in an armchair. I may be an idiot, but I'm sitting on an office chair. Thank you very much. But you know what I mean? It's like point point me towards the person who, who, the expert who thinks it's a good idea. No one does. Not one. No one from the Australia Institute, no one from the IPA, like no one. Ray Ray White, real estate economist came out and said it was a stupid idea. Yeah, yeah. When the property people are saying, oh, no, you might have overstepped the mark here, guys. (laughs) It tells you everything you need to know. Isn't it crazy? It's just like so. Oh, for God's sake. Again, a 12-year-old could understand it. It's like, here's the impossible problem. The impossible problem is if you want to fix housing, Let's just let's just cut to the chase here. If you want more afford, more affordable housing, what does that mean? Think like put, put yourself in the shoes of a twelve year old. What does more affordable mean? It means cheaper. What does cheaper mean? It means prices go down. Now you try and tell two thirds of Australians who yeah. either own a house outright or are paying one off. We want to make you. We want your house price to go down. Yeah. Do you think that's a good idea? No. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, there was a good. Uh, I saw someone on interviewed a, a little while back. I think seven thirty report or something, mm-hmm. and he, he was saying that forever I wanted prices to go down until I bought a house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's not being critical, Funny, right? That's just that's because one hundred percent rational yep. understand. Like obviously, yep. right? We're all looking at it through our own lens. But that this that's why I say it's the mm-hmm. impossible problem. The majority of people do not want house prices mm-hmm. to go down because that is where the vast, vast, vast majority of their their wealth lies. But mate, even so then, we like, need more affordable housing, but we yeah. don't want it to go down. I mean, how do you square that circle? I, I don't know. Well, see, but I think like let, put putting the real politic glasses on for a second. The answer is you simply stop at least stop it rising so that incomes rise relative to house prices over time. At the very, 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 very least, you can do things that don't necessarily crash the housing market. I have people, and that's the problem. But you say that you know has not housing should be more affordable. Well, what do you want? You want to crash the houses by twenty five percent? That'll screw the economy. No, I don't want to have that. That's, that would screw the economy. Of course, I don't want that. that's the, the binary idea of you're either with me or against me. The axis of evil, George Bushism stuff is is rubbish. Dumb. There, there are there are plenty of places in between which says you know for example grandfather some of the rules you've got if you if you need to make a different rules for new buyers or. Mm-hmm. Minimise the growth in housing by making some policy options that aren't designed and can be carefully calibrated and managed so they don't wreck housing prices. Would it be so terrible if housing didn't rise for the next 10 years while wages went up so that people can afford at, on, a, on a percentage of income basis a house? I think that'd be a perfectly decent thing, a perfectly original thing to do. It's, it's super, super, super It's easy. still a hard sell, mate. It's still a hard sell. For the person who's been told for the last 20 years that housing doubles every seven years and they've gone up to the eyeballs in debt on that premise yep. and then you say, actually, we're going to put policies in place so that exactly that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. they're not going to be happy about it. I don't expect them to be. I expect our leaders to actually go to Parliament because they want to do something in the national interest rather than just mm-hmm. pander to people so they can get elected in the shiny Commonwealth cars. Yep. But but I'm but back in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, look, I'm with you, you, by the way. I'm it with you. It doesn't mean you can't criticize. It takes policy, leadership. The hard, the hard, de- hard decisions. Yeah. Forward thinking, long term visionary leadership. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We had to take a bit of medicine. You know, we. I went and put um, some needles in our kid's arm uh, on the yeah. weekend for a flu yeah. shot. Right. They yep. didn't like that. And but it was the right thing to do. You know. Yep. So we, we kind of need we need a we need a bit of that at the at the federal kind of level. Here's my here's, look, here's the fix. Right. Here's yep. the fix. <laughs> Just to bring it back. Um, everything to do with housing policy yep. is about getting people into a ha- into ownership. Yep. 
fix, fix, fix the rental laws and you go a long way, mm-hmm. a long way towards fixing the housing problem. People, people want security. Mm. People, pe- that's what people want. That's what a house is. Shelter and security, that's yep. what it is. Give, give people that. You know, there are other ways to get that. And I'm not saying it's a magic bullet that fixes everything, but yep. man, it would go a long, 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 long way to to addressing the problem. So I think that's right, mate. But I think the issue I have with that is the same issue I have with people say, well, it's better than nothing. Those two things are absolutely reasonable and they should be valid choices if that's the choice you want to make. If you choose to be a renter for lifestyle reasons, financial reasons, whatever, whatever, then I absolutely 100% agree with you. I don't disagree at all. So don't 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 misunderstand me. It's also, though, it's also <laughs> the reality that we should be able to make that choice as an actual choice rather as a fallback. Yeah, well, housing's too co- expensive, but at least I can rent. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. Housing is affordable and you can rent. Which one would you like? That is, that is what a decent, reasonable, thoughtful, caring society would do rather than, well, housing unaffordable. I guess I can fix the rental stuff for you because you're screwed. So at least you won't be, you'll be a slightly less screwed or being screwed won't hurt so much. Um, yeah. that, that's the bit. I, I 100% agree with you. I said, same as people who say, well, what do you want them to do? At least it's better than not doing the rage of super thing or it's not better than not doing the government putting some money in. It's true by definition it's better. But when you define the terms like that, do you want it to be really, 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 really terrible or do you want it to be slightly less terrible and use government money or slightly less terrible and use superannuation? Mm-hmm. No. I, I, you know, to, use, to use a Gilardism, I, refuse, I, I, I disagree with the premise of your question mm-hmm. that neither of those need to be the choice. The choice is or the, the question is how do we make housing affordable for more Australians the answer, you know, what, what is the best policy? Not what is the least worst thing that someone suggested? Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it's part oh, of the solution. It's just never right. discussed, right? Oh, yeah, totally. never, and, and the bang for yep. buck that you get yep. there. And it, yep. Yep. I also, where I, what I do reject is, I mean, you've used the word there, the choice of people. Yep. Most renters, I would argue, uh, don't have a choice. Right. People, people are largely renting because they my just point. can't. You know, so it's kind of like, yeah, so let's, like, it'd be better if if there was a choice, but because we don't have a choice, so many Mm, people mm, that don't mm. have a choice, well, let's, let's at least make sure that they're not being completely screwed over, you know? And people then get up, worked up about that on, oh, what about my, no, 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 it's not about screwing over landlords Mm, either, right? mm. It's just about having a fairer system for all, Mm, you know? Um, And at the moment, it is, it is way down the spectrum in terms Mm, of favoured towards one party over the other. Yeah. And and you mean parties uh, as, versus landlords, not parties yeah, equal labor. Sorry, no, sorry, no, just, sorry, give, yes. give, give it to election work, I just thought I'd be clearer about that. Yeah. <laughs> you you it, won't it, unclear, just so, just for the record. Yeah, but it, it, it's 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 just I, I've I'm I'm really I'm really passionate on that. And again, yeah. again, it's it's the most vulnerable in society that are that are copying mm-hmm. it the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, we should lift yep. ourselves up by our bootstraps. Yeah. It's it's Look! Look at what's happening in Sri Lanka, and you know, it's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw a good tweet on during the week. It's just sort of like, you know, welfare was about sort of looking after people, but it was also making sure that uh, you know the 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 um, the elite don't get mobbed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of truth to that, right? Yeah, there is, like, there you is. know, well, just- inequality is uh, are the seeds of um, revolution, but yeah, you know, I, I, there's. Can I, can I recommend? Can I recommend a, an article by Ross Giddens? I love Ross Giddens. He's oh, a national big trader. fan. Um, big fan. He's been around long enough, and I'm old enough that actually he he gave me. I went. I think I said this before. I went to an economics lecture he gave before the HSC when I was going through school. Uh, Giddens does a or did a, a, a HSC economics lecture. Uh, so me and a mate d- jumped on the train, went into town in, in Sydney, and watched Ross Giddens do that. And that was a long time ago. He's been around longer long time as now have I. Um, he is an absolute gem. If you're not reading Ross Giddens, you're 
take. I, I won't make it. I won't. One quick, one quick fact about Go. Ross. Yeah, he's Please. he's not a he's not a trained economist. Yes, he's an economic journalist. Correct. Yeah, and but he yeah, is. Yeah. But I often think that it's, I, I feel the same about investors too. Yes. Often the best investors are people <laughs> who have come at it from completely. non-traditional backgrounds, and I, I feel it's the same agree. with economists because you yeah. kind of yeah. you've got to figure it out yourself rather than you you avoid a bit of the indoctrination. Yeah. But anyway, please please yeah. continue. If you're not reading Ross Gittins, you are not getting the best economic education you can get. Let me let me say that. Mm. Um, he wrote a great article this week on on basically exactly that topic that you know politicians are so used to and we've become so used to how oh poor me what are you doing for me and, and getting basically asked the question what if we actually asked what they're doing for the more vulnerable in our society or for to improve the society in general um, he's an old salvo it turns out which is which I love about him and uh, it's just it, read please just do read Ross Gittins. if you've got made it this far through the podcast you care enough to listen to us do yourself a favor read Ross Gittins regularly um, just google him and you'll find his article on the page on the SMH or the age I suppose as well I don't know if he's on that I assume he is um, and you'll find his articles. His article on the Salvo is very, very good. Um, so check that out. It's uh, It shouldn't be too much to ask, mate. I, sometimes I'm an optimist by nature, but I'll tell you what, the, the political process drives me bananas. Hey, um, let's change gears because we can. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, Twiggy Forrest is going to resume the title of Executive Chairman of Fortescue. Now, I own shares of Fortescue for full disclosure. It's a small position. Um, and it was interesting because of what it potentially means or might mean or, or, or says or doesn't say about Fortescue, about founders, about management, about the role of recruitment. I just thought it was a, I thought it was a fascinating thing. So basically, Elizabeth Gaines is resigning as CEO. They've been doing an international search for a replacement. And Twiggy said, I'm plan B. We couldn't find anybody. So it wasn't even that Twiggy necessarily said, you know what, Elizabeth's out of the way, I'm stepping up. Or Elizabeth, get out of the way. I want to take over again. He went, well, let's find... Oh, bugger. No one here. I guess I'll do it. And I thought it was just interesting for a whole lot of reasons, mate. Um, someone said in the paper today, I haven't got the reference in front of me, it says there's no one internally who's good enough for the job. Probably does. It says they couldn't find anyone else internationally for the job. It probably does. Uh, Twiggy maybe is just a hard taskmaster and wanted someone with the passion and drive and intellect and skills. And, and you know, it's always easy when you're the founder to reference yourself and say they're not as good at, as me at those things or I don't trust them enough or I don't know they're going to be great enough. So let's, I'll jump back in the chair. Um, maybe it just says this is a complex business and no one else can do the job. Maybe it says Twiggy is an egomaniac who won't let go. Um, as a shareholder, I'm very happy that Twiggy is stepping back in. It was partly his vision that I bought the shares for and a low iron ore price, which helped. Um, it's not a big position, as I've said before. Just curious as to your thoughts, mate, about about this particular or just about that in general, the idea of, of founders. We've seen it at Starbucks. Howard Schultz went away. The business kind of crashed and he came and stepped back in. Um, Infomedia, small Australian IT businesses, a subject of a takeover offer now. I think the CEO might have stepped back in there twice. Mm. Um, what's the other business I'm thinking of? Uh, there's been plenty. Um, Did Blackmore's? Did, no. Yeah, no. for a while. Marcus, yeah. Marcus served as executive chairman for a bit. Um, okay. uh, integrated Research is the other one I'm thinking of, where the founder stepped back in at one point for, for a short period of time, or at least was very, very involved uh, behind the scenes. Mm. Is, this, is this founders not being able to let go? Is it a good thing? Do we care? Do we know? Your thoughts on on kind of the, the the nexus between founders and professional management and how they, you know, are you always not in the shadow of a of a Twiggy or a Marcus Blackmore or somebody else? What, what, how do you feel about, about oh, that sort big, of dynamic? It's a big question. I, I do I do think founders are great, right? So the mm. fact that you know about them <laughs> means that they've been <laughs> successful. Yeah, good point. Because there's a million founders yeah, yeah, out there, yeah. and there's there's a positive. <laughs> There's a there's a what's it called survivorship bias that, that's at play. Yeah, exactly. So um, at the same time, I would say that there are 
starting a business, bootstrapping a business, growing mm. it to viability and is one thing. Running it from that point is there, there's sometimes very different skill sets. Yeah. So in the early days when it's That's super small, yeah. um, you kind of need to be across everything. Mm. And you have this hyper-engaged uh, person who's just you, you know, just knows every single aspect of the business because they kind yeah. of need to be. Yeah. It doesn't work when you're looking after a, 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 a team of employees, ten thousand strong, mm. in three, mm. four different geographies. You know, it's just it just it, it takes a different skill set. So I, I, while I always prefer a founder, because um, I, I, I think they they especially one with huge skin in the game. I think it's just as a generalization, it is a good thing. I do think we need to be careful with that generalization because sometimes mm. um, they who, who <laughs> someone who's great at getting it off the ground is not the same person who's sort of just running it at, in a most uh, efficient kind of way. That's a good point. Um, I also think too, it comes to a point where there's you've also got to be. I mean, humans we're just so ego driven as well. So I I I I think a lot of got a lot of positive things to say about Twiggy. But I absolutely reject the premise that out of nearly eight billion people on planet Earth, he's the best person to run. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel as though at some there's, there's probably an element of ego and step aside and rolling. Well, I'm going to get it. And then he's, he, and you, anyone who's owning shareholder shares in Fortescue should feel very good about because he's obviously an incredibly competent person, and I think it is a good thing for the business. But let's let's be honest. If he really wanted someone else to run it, he could he yeah. could find someone. There's a, yeah. there's a degree of there's a degree of ego in, in all of that, for better or worse, is what is what I would say. Um, I'd also ask what in in this particular case, where he, are his efforts? The, the trouble with being a CEO is it's a very high demanding role. Yeah, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. You'd, you're always in meeting. You're doing that. You know, and you you got to wonder if if he could, and I think he probably could if he looked hard enough. Find uh, someone to to take care of the day to day. Is his efforts getting bigger bang for buck in his advocacy role on yeah. the board, uh, lobbying yeah, right. Because he's got this huge, you know, his his ambitions to take Fortescue is to be carbon neutral by twenty thirty and to build this uh, mm. green hydrogen supply chain. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I I just wonder if if. With him now doing the day to day, is that going to weaken the efforts that he could make on on the other front? It's a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just I'm just opining here, you know, in my in my leather armchair. I don't really, <laughs> I don't, I don't. Yeah, it's hard. To if, say. if you're a Fortescue shareholder, because you because you're not, and I am. Uh, are you happy that Twiggy's jet back in the role? Are you disappointed? Are you worried? Are you nervous? Are you no, not at all. But I just, I, 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 no, I think, I think it's a very good thing. He's obviously knows knows what he's doing there. I just, mm. there is a part of me that would prefer his his time be spent on lobbying politicians, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which he's going to have a lot less time for now. Yeah. Interesting, or not? I mean, part of the part of the story is he said, "Look, he he was he was right. No one had his the same. Uh, I don't. Really, I think I want to say ambition. I think I want to say. I think that was the word for his green energy business. Mm. So I was fascinated. My sense is he could get plenty of mining executives, but no one who could kind of deal with the iron ore business while at the same time trying to build a green hydrogen business. I don't blame them, frankly. This is. I mean, this is this is Twee's baby, right? I part of me thinks this is exactly the right move to the extent he's interested and wants to do it in, in the sense that that's precisely his point, right? It's like, this is what I'm trying to build. Um, and the founder of any business or, or of, a, of a, a serial entrepreneur, I guess, like Twiggy, because this is really a different business. It's kind of under the Fortescue mm. banner, uh, Fortescue Future Industries, they're calling it literally under a different banner, uh, but part of the same organisation is, I mean, he's, he's the driving force behind this, right? He's the visionary. He's the kind of whatever. 
Uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of I, I wonder whether being CEO would be a poison chalice anyway. Imagine getting the job and having Quiggy breathing down your neck about what he wanted to do with this business. Like, mate, <laughs> if you want to do it yourself, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to. I, I kind of I almost feel like it's it's just removing the middleman, right? <laughs> it's probably yeah. no probably no terrible probably no terrible thing. I don't I don't think. But we'll see um, we'll see how that pans out. Mate, um, we've done more than enough today. Will you come back on Sunday, post-election? Yes, yes. We will have either a new or a return PM, and we're not going to do two separate episodes. We're just going to acknowledge we don't know and uh, talk about something else instead, particularly the questions that we've received from our listeners. See you then. Cheers. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.